I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnutt, and with me today is Niall Kalini-Taylor, Head of Creative Production at Q. And we're going to be discussing focusing on concept before content in podcasting. Everything that you do before you launch, before you even think about launching a podcast, we'll be talking about those things that you should prepare today. And so, Niall, welcome to the podcast. Do you want to take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners and describe a little bit more about what you do at Q? Yeah, thank you very much, Scott, for having me on, firstly. Uh, my name is Niall, and I am the Head of Creative Productions at Q Podcast. Uh, essentially, what Q Podcast is, we are a full-service podcast production agency. We work with brands, publications, networks on commissions for originals to create, essentially, uh, creatively thought-first podcasting. Uh, And what we mean by that is that we want to be involved everywhere from the very early doors of the creative concept ideation stages. We want to make sure that we work with brands that are willing to take kind of bold steps uh, and kind of do things a little bit differently when it comes to podcasting. I'm not saying kind of rewrite, rewrite the, or rework the wheel, essentially. It's just making sure that we use the podcasting space as best possible and how we can reach those audiences. So we cater to, like I said, all those different brands uh, everywhere from the pre-production stages through the production, whether recording remotely or in studio. And then, of course, uh, all the post-production stage as well and marketing. So we want to make sure your podcast does get heard if you go to the, the bother of actually trying to make one. So, yeah, that's cute podcast in a sense. So we've also got a few other companies that we work with. Oh, sorry. We've also got a few other companies that we that we own. One is podcast.co. That's the podcast hosting and distribution service platform. Uh, we've got radio.co, which is for live online audio. And then matchmaker.fm, that if anyone is uh, interested to be a guest on a podcast or finding guests for their own podcast, that's where they'd go is matchmaker.fm. It's sort of like the social media platform for podcasters. And I am a big advocate for podcast.co. It's where I launched uh, my secondary podcast, The Advertising Hour. It's my personal podcast. And matchmaker.fm, where I'm a founding member, and I really enjoy being a part of that too. So, Excellent. So uh, yeah. not an unbiased approach to yeah. both of us here. Well, I'm not involved in radio, uh, in radio.fm uh, yet either. Or radio co, is it? Radio.co, yeah. So radio. once, you, once you start up that online uh, midnight hour radio station, Scott, you can get in touch with us. We'll, make, we'll look after you. Yeah, thanks. Um, so you talked about the range of businesses that you work with there. And I'm really curious. I assume uh, that you get co- people contacting you for a wide variety of reasons. But I'm really curious to know you're on the end of these questions, what people want to achieve with podcasting. So what are people telling you at the moment when they come to you? 
Yeah, look, it's it's a very it's a very varied approach that we have from a, from clients podcast, and obviously it's been around for some time now. But not every brand uh, has been on board yet, and they're they're still kind of exploring the stage. You know, if you think about it as part of any other kind of, especially from a brand's point of view, another tool for their marketing strategy plan, podcasting is still a little bit down the list uh, from any of the traditional mediums. So when these brands approach us or we approach them about podcasting, they really just want reassurance as to how this will work, uh, how they'll reach their audiences, and also a bit of a guarantee in terms of people actually listening to the show, which is obviously one of the hardest things to guarantee because podcasting is a little bit different to, like I said, radio or or advertising on uh, television, for example. That's really interesting that the one of the questions that you get first or most frequently is logistics, as in it's not something that even comes to mind for me, but I'm remembering back when I started podcasting, I had lots of questions and there was lots of time spent on YouTube and actually some of the podcast.co courses and uh, I think a book that James has released there. But um, I, I was talking to one, I've been speaking actually today about a client that was interested in podcasting and they just don't really know where to start. And there's this governance issue where in this particular organization, nobody really knows who would be responsible for podcasting. And so the logistics question actually has come up for me and it's something that I'd forgotten. Who is best placed typically in the companies that you work with? Which departments does podcasting typically sit in? Yeah, so generally we find people who work in marketing departments or communications departments. So there is also kind of two ways that brands will approach podcasting to come to us. And one of them obviously is the traditional, um, as we'd say, kind of the uh, outwards, uh, uh, so it's the outwards approach to podcasting where you're creating a show to reach different audiences or a specific type of audience to build brand awareness. Uh, and then also there is uh, what we would call private podcasting or internal podcasting. And this is where large organizations and the people within that company usually work from the internal communications team. They'll approach us wanting to do a podcast for their staff that maybe are, you know, globally positioned uh, in different locations and they want to create content for them to either keep up to date with the, with the companies going on or uh, just also another use to kind of uh, create content for their their team members essentially so yeah it, it does vary i'd say traditionally it is people within the marketing and content teams that we tend to speak with most i assume that you're always looking for someone on the other end though that's enthusiastic about podcasting that's putting their hands up and say hey i, I want to work with q on this project because it's really difficult i think to make podcasting work if you don't have people either on the mic or behind the mic that aren't actually enthusiastic about the medium so is that something that you often, when, when you're going through this process of teaching people, understanding logistics with the company, what is it that you're looking out for? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said, I do calls kind of day in, day out with different brands. And often sometimes you'll be speaking to people that they've already decided upon an idea or they have, as you mentioned, someone who loves podcasts and has done it maybe at a previously company or they, they might do it themselves in their own kind of uh, as a pastime. And to convert them, it's very simple because you can share ideas that get them excited and they know how it will work. But then when you speak to people who, for example, have never done a podcast or might not traditionally listen to them day to day, and they might be very skeptical about how the logistics work, what my job is to do on that call is to get them excited. So I try my best to share you know, creative ideas that they can use to kind of stand out from the crowd or how podcasting can be, like I said, a separate tool for them to reach new audiences or to speak to their audience directly. So really, for me, it's just trying to get them excited as much as possible about the type of work they can create. 
Uh, I think a lot of people who don't understand the medium see it very black and white in terms of, oh, it's that thing that, you know, you create a show and you do an interview and it's 60 minutes long and you release it and that's it. And, that you know, you talk about your brand for, you know, 40 of those minutes and then you interview the guest for 20. And I think that's sometimes they, they, they can't get their head around how it can be done differently or even how a brand can position itself with an idea instead of its its own kind of brand image. So, for example, creating a piece of work where it might not, you know, the podcast might not focus solely on on the business and their kind of their business goals and their messaging. But if the content is successful and works right and garners an audience and you're associated with that, then that has extremely positive results for the brand. You know, it's very much similar how you'd see, you know, the likes of brand sponsoring YouTube channels or or even nowadays like TikTok artists, you know, you want you want brand association with positive work and content. And do you have a preference as to whether, uh, yeah, it, is your preference to work with brands that already have an idea of the types of podcasts they want to create? Or do you actually prefer working with a little bit of a blank canvas? Uh, I suppose I, from my background, I like the blank canvas right. because I have a background in kind of the creative industry. So, I, I, you know, I very much try and do the whole creative led sell. So yeah. I, I, I love developing ideas for brands and thinking how we can take their kind of traditional messaging and then associate that with a, a, a piece of content that's quite different. Um, you know, so for example, if you're a, a, like a dating app or something like that there, you know, how can we do a podcast that is very different and unique to anything out there? So maybe that's creating the word, you know, the first podcast blind dating show, something like that, you know, just something that's, that is worthy of people's attention that uh, can garner, you know, big results from wide audiences that is generally entertaining. Uh, and just obviously then, you know, that's associated with the brand. So they're, they're kind of pushing this type of content. Obviously, when we work with brands that already have an idea, uh, it can be tricky, but also, you know, a lot of them can come with very strong ideas. They have great teams internally. Uh, probably the, the difficulty that I would have in my team is that when a brand approaches us with, you know, for example, they say we want to do this podcast. It's about our business and brand. Like I, said, I don't want to name anyone just in case people are listening. But uh, you know, if they approach saying this is our business and brand, and we want this is the message we want to do, uh, it's going to be hosted by our CEO. It's going to interview other people within our business, and that's what we think is going to work to say bring in new business or bring in new audiences to our to our to our services. And for us, we have to try and push back. And that's where it's a little bit tricky for us. You know, we want to make sure that we're respecting the client and uh, that we can obtain the work. But also we want to be honest with them and transparent and tell them, look, this won't work. Or, you know, uh, you'll end up doing what you'll see all the time. You'll end, you'll, you'll do five or six episodes. You, you won't get the results you wanted. And then you'll you'll give up and move on. And it's almost a bit of a waste of time and a waste of money at the end of the day instead where you could you know, strip something back and let us kind of take charge in terms of that creative ideation stage, work with your team as well to make sure you're getting the best possible content from this podcast series that will, of course, then, you know, over time build up an audience and build a community around the show, which then will in turn be positive for your brand. So, you know, I think that's, uh, it, it's it's tricky on both sides. Like I said, the blank canvas, great. It's exciting. The, the tough part is to, you know, just convince them that they want the podcast in the end because they've never done before. Uh, obviously a brand comes in with an idea great they, they're already kind of half their way there to to sign off a production which is brilliant but we got to maybe just make sure that they're doing it for the right reasons and they're not just doing it for the sake of it uh, because podcast is quite the buzzy word now 
for the right reasons. That's what I want to get into. So I want to get into that creative-led approach, those abstract waters, and uh, understand a little bit more about what creativity to you, is to you in the podcasting world. So we talked a little bit about like logistics, and we talked a little bit about who might take responsibility for podcasting. But even before we take those steps, I assume there are questions you ask uh, prospects and clients um, just to help them conceptualize, help them with that creation, uh, that creativity stage. So talk me through that process. Do you have frameworks that help you? How do you approach it? Yeah, like I said, it, it's very much down to having those kind of creative kickoff calls with the client and asking the right questions. For me personally, I always find discovering who their audience is, is one of the most vital pieces of information because from that we can distill down to what that group of people want to listen to. Uh, we can look and see what is already out there. What are they already listening to? What is, you know, if it's a condensed marketplace where, you know, there's too many of these type of shows, can we think of something that gives them the same content and same information, but in a different manner? Uh, you know, whether that be, uh, for example, just essentially what we're trying to do is just let them to think a bit differently about how they can do the podcast. So, like I said, it, it mainly comes down to the questions we ask them at the beginning. Mm. Uh, we want to ask them, you know, about their audience, the type of people they're trying to reach. Ask them, was, you know, what's mainly important too is why are they trying to reach this audience? Uh, what is the message they want to get across? Uh, with podcasting, for me, I think it's an amazing brand awareness tool. It's an amazing way to build a community of people around your brand or your brand's voice and have them, you know, give trust in that with podcasting, you know, you have this amount of time, this, you know, whether it be 30, 20, 40, 50, 60 minutes to have your brand's voice represented. And that's very unique. You don't usually get that in any kind of marketing, uh, whether, like I said, be traditional advertising on television or on a radio show, you don't have that a lot amount of time. So making sure that the person who is hosting your show and the, the concept and the creative that they're, they're presenting is in tune with your brand's voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the way we would look at that is, like I said, we ask those questions at the beginning. We we have a fantastic team of producers and, and creatives who will spend time researching in that area. For example, you know what is currently out there, what shows are successful, uh, and what's mainly the main point is what's missing, what's that gap. Podcasting has become very popular, so obviously there's a lot of shows, there's a lot of formats and and uh, types of shows that are very similar, and they're they're offering the same type of information. I mean, you only have to look to, I don't know if you, you know, if you're a fan of American comedy, there's the, the kind of the LA comedy scene. And for example, yeah. every podcaster out there, or every comedian, sorry, just does the same kind of churn of podcast shows every week, week in, week out. So you end up just hearing the same stories, the same bits, and it becomes this very, just plain and, and boring after a while because you're not excited to hear anything new, you know. So we want to make sure we're not just replicating what's already out there. Uh, and like I said, that's when we always look to, to different forms as well. So when it comes to the type of shows, you know, there's with audio, you can do amazing things. It's, uh, it's, it's one of those spaces that you have a lot of creative freedom, whether that's through immersive audio, uh, whether it's through the use of kind of uh, creating different worlds through uh, sound design and space. Uh, and of course, then being able to, to create these beautifully narrative led shows uh, with primarily smaller budgets than compared to say a large documentary series you know during the pandemic we all realized how not easy but how transferable going online was especially from the podcasting world we were able to to do interviews with people based in america india australia 
very, very quickly and very, very easily. So it allowed us to, instead of having to travel to these locations, set up a microphone, do an interview and fly back. Now we could just jump on a call and within 20 minutes, we've got this fantastic story uh, recorded that we can then, you know, digest or ingest into a different podcast. Uh, so yeah, sorry, I rambled quite a bit there, but to answer your story, answer your question, we essentially want to make sure that we're just asking the right questions so we can get the right amount of information at the beginning. Uh, and like I said, what we tend to always do is we go off, we develop these ideas, and then we pitch them back to the client because what we really want the client to do is to hear an idea that excites them. Because if it excites them, then they're fully invested in the project, and they they give us our you know then they have trust in us to do that job. Whereas if we just kind of ask them to you know come up with an idea to ourselves, um, they're more and more likely to to less give over that kind of power to us, or less uh, likely to to take our our feedback on board. Uh, and that's where we kind of really relish with kind of wanting to make sure we put up, push our creative first, essentially. And from Q's end, is it just you in those calls with prospects or clients or do your, do your entire teams get involved? And how many parties from the other side typically get involved? Yeah, so it varies. I mean, generally, we're always speaking on the client side of things. It's it's usually, like I said, the team behind it. So if it's their brand uh, marketing team or if it's their internal communications team, it's usually then myself, uh, another producer, and and uh, our uh, my colleague David, who's our head of partnerships. And then once the, the client shows interest that they'd like to take the next step forward, that's when we do a what you call maybe a creative kickoff call. And that's where myself and a number of the producers would jump on a call with their team and take that brief and then, you know, spend an hour talking to them about, you know, the reasons behind wanting to do a podcast and, and the achievements they would like to reach with this type of show. Uh, and those are the kind of calls that really we get the ball rolling because we, you know, like we say, we always want to collaborate with our clients, make them feel involved in the project as well. So when we do these kickoff calls, we're collaborating ideas with them. You know, we're kind of doing some live pitching in those calls and seeing if that, you know, do they think this would work or how about approaching it this way? Same thing goes for, you know, if it's a, a brand and we, we want to maybe include an external host to have kind of a non-biased opinion on the, on the podcast, you know, that's when we'll kind of spitball ideas around who we think would work and who we've worked with before. And their type of voice would match up really well with the brand's message because one, they might have a massive interest in say, finance for you know for example if that's it so those are the kind of uh, exciting parts of the project especially at the beginning is when we jump on those calls and we start to kind of work with the client and that's what we always try and do and we always say that as well when we work with clients is that we want to feel collaborative we want them to feel like we're working on this together you know their ideas are just as important as our ideas and their inputs just as important as our input so it's definitely a two-way street when it comes to to the project and remote collaboration and its impact on creativity is such a hot topic right now. I can't help but ask you, just as a head of creative production, you must have seen the articles at the moment, the reports, the studies into creativity uh, for remote workers and remote agencies. What are your thoughts on how creativity is impacted by remote work? Have you found your workflow impacted by any of this? Do you work remotely? Do you have a preference? I do work remotely, and to be honest, I do think it's it's a it's a really interesting topic of discussion. To be honest, because I find there is benefits and negatives to it. Obviously, so I've worked within the kind of creative industries and in different agencies for the past six or seven years, or maybe more. Actually, now that I think about it, but um, so I've been part of agencies where we used to have 
regular kind of creative brainstorms where we go into an office or a meeting room and we'd spend hours sticking up post-it notes on the wall with different ideas and, and we'd be, be could be eight or ten of us in there kind of talking over ideas and we'd come out at the end sometimes with fantastic pieces of work that we'd go off and and we kind of write up and adjust. And over time, it would just be absolute nonsense and we would get nowhere and it'd be kind of almost, that was the the hit or miss thing within the creative agencies. Uh, I personally always worked really well when it came to developing ideas on my own. And how I like to work is I like to develop some ideas and concepts and then I like to share them with people to get their feedback. So for me personally, and I do work remotely, and uh, a lot of our team work remotely, but we also go into the office, um, I personally like to, you know, if I could go for a walk in the park and I'm, I'm thinking about the idea and I'll take out my phone, I'll jot down a voice note and uh, and then I'll go back, think over it, work on it, and then I'll share it with the team. And then together we'll jump on a quick call and we'll go over it. So in terms of working remotely, I, I do think there is a there's a negative in the sense that you, you can't just turn around to your colleague and say, hey, what do you think about this? Uh, and that kind of ease of access of just spitballing ideas back and forth in the office. But with the handiness of whether it be Zoom, Google Meets, or whatever the other ones are, you know, you can really just jump on a call in seconds. You know, we're, we're kind of, you know, we're constantly chatting through our kind of internal chat chat network, essentially. And uh, we, we can jump on very quickly onto a video call and uh, and just talk out the idea. So I do think there's, there's definitely, um, I think it might affect other people more personally for myself. I don't mind too much because, like I said, I kind of like to to work on my own and kind of work up my own ideas by myself, and then I like to take them to the to the group and and see what they think, and then go back and work again. But I do know some people like to work more collaboratively in terms of developing ideas, and that's and for them, I'm sure it's it's that kind of hindrance of not having that person, like I said, to quickly turn around to and say, "Oh, can we, you know, discuss this this brief I'm working on." I'm a report skeptic. So when reports are released about things like productivity from working from home, I just look at it and think, well, everyone's got a goal, right? So whoever produced the report, what's their goal? Because you can always spin data to tell the story that you want it to tell. And ultimately with creativity, it's so subjective that, I mean, I agree with you in principle, it's Everyone approaches it differently. Differently, I sound. I think I'm a character or have characteristics that are very similar to yours, Niall, and that I really like my own company. I find I'm at my most creative when I'm on my own. I don't need mm-hmm. to be around people for that kind of creative energy. Doesn't mean that I don't like working with people uh, uh, in those kind of environments, but I, I feel no different from working from home. That said, I work with people on my team who have expressed expressed a difficulty in working on creative endeavors alone. And so it really just is such a subjective matter. But one thing that I think is true for everyone is that everyone's going to have to adapt. It's a new type of creativity, uh, a new type of working. And whether it's to your benefit, again, there are going to be pros and cons. And if it's not to your, if it's not, if it's not to your taste or it doesn't suit your characteristics, um, there are going to be pros and cons there as well. I am interested, though, when you bring people together, a little bit about what your, your workflow, in particular, that research and brainstorming process. Do you use any tools to help you with the curation of podcasts, ideas, anything that comes to mind that just helps you with that collaboration online? Uh, I suppose not so much. I mean, in terms of everyone's a little bit different. Uh, like I said, you know, in terms of research, I was just actually going to mention, point out the fact that you know, in terms of the way we do things and the creative brainstorming stages 
it's never been easier for us to kind of do that research. We've got computers of high end internet speed and on our phone at any moment. So like I said, if I'm in the park and I'm thinking about a certain idea or a certain person for a concept, I can quickly Google and, and find out that way. So what we tend to do is we look at, we do look at trends. Uh, you know, places like Twitter and, and social media are fantastic places to see what is popular and you can find amazing stories from there. You can, you know, from those stories, you can see if you can twist it into a concept. And also I, I am a, I used to be, I used to be quite grumpy old man around the whole, uh, you know, social media of TikTok and YouTubers. But really, if you look to them in terms of the creativity they have in, in terms of developing new formats and types of shows and, and seeing what, what is popular and, and how people can engage with content, maybe on a shorter scale, but also then some of the formats work much longer. So it's, I think in terms of how we research and we work together, like I said, we, we generally do that by ourselves. We do our kind of own field work, essentially, and then we come together to kind of uh, share ideas. And we, we like to do that in a group where we'll, where we'll uh, especially if we're in person, we can pitch our ideas to each other. And from that point, you know, often until you say it out loud, you know, you hold the piece of paper in your hand and you read it out loud, it sometimes doesn't, uh, you don't see the flaws in it. And then people can pin those out and say, well, actually, that, that idea might not work because A, B, and C, or that person actually maybe has done something bad in the past, so you don't want to be associated with them. So it all really just comes down to, uh, down to, I suppose, how people kind of like to work. We, Like I said, people are individual, and people research different ways, but we just make sure that we constantly kind of uh, share whatever we come across because one person's bit of information or news story can spark off an idea for someone else. And mm. like I said, that's how we work very much in our brainstorming sessions as well. Uh, you know, for one person, it might mean nothing and the other person it might spark a bit of inspiration. I'm so glad as well, as you were talking, you mentioned the LA comedy scene because well, I'm, firstly, I'm a comedy fan. It's worth knowing that. Yeah. And it's not really come up on the podcast too much, but I've studied podcasting for a long time and I've uh, enjoyed comedy. And so those two co- things combined. And I saw... I've talked on this podcast before about podcasting going through peaks and troughs over the last 15, 20 years. And I feel like the LA comedy scene was a big contributor to this current boom over, that we've seen in podcasting over the last few years. However, I've also acknowledged what you said about how it's really impacted creativity and, and pot- potentially just the people going on each other's podcasts and telling the same stories is really it feels like it's opened up the floor to new formats and that maybe audiences are getting bored with that kind of format particularly in that space i'm just really curious to know because i've not spoken to anyone on this podcast about this have you seen any data or trends that correlate with what i'm saying there are you seeing people lose interest in those la comedy podcasts and that also allowing there to be more opportunity that listeners are looking for different types of formats yeah i mean i haven't seen anything in terms of solid data or research right. but just being a fan like yourself of comedy and podcasts and uh, i do find the whole la comedy podcast scene very interesting there's an there's a few shows that i enjoy and i've been following for a couple of years and then there's a number of other shows that i've listened to mainly because like i said this this same format of one or two comedians you know, they, they're friends, they do a podcast together, they interview other podcasters, or, or sorry, other comedians. And we see it kind of constantly evolving where then another one comedian from that show will go to another show, yeah. another comedian interview other comedians. And it's the same sponsors are attached to them. Yeah. And it's just this kind of big circle. And uh, it really has, I think, took a bit of the sting out of that 
format. Whereas, you know, the likes of, say, for our example over here of the UK side, you have people like Adam Buxton, uh, you know, who's a bit of a kind of comedy. Uh, well, he's been around for what, maybe eight or so years. I'm trying to think I was listening to him back in 2012 or 2011. So, yeah, got nearly 10 years now. But that format of, of comedian, interviews, guest has traditionally always done really well, uh, UK or US. And, you know, even if a brand does want to get into podcasting in a in a kind of a, a non-branded uh, way, they would get a comedian to host their podcast and that comedian would interview whoever it was in the industry that they're after about whatever. And that would tend to work really well. Um, you know, and like I said, there's some great shows. Uh, yeah, so there's a very interesting podcast called 929. Uh, that the uh, the company Fiverr do, and essentially, uh, you know, the podcast itself is speaking to uh, business leaders, entrepreneurs, uh, essentially find out how they became successful. Uh, Fiverr is a platform for people to to find jobs and and to for entrepreneurs to kind of sell their services. And what they do is they do it in nine minutes twenty nine seconds. There's no real reason why it's nine minutes twenty nine seconds, but I think it just they did because it, it sounds well. But also, then they have comedian host Ishan Akbar. Uh, who's a great host, very funny comedian. And I suppose just having those two combines of your know, business, uh, thought leadership, but then with a comedic twist works well. And it's been very successful. Uh, you know, it's done very well. I think it's still going in its kind of fourth or fifth season. And uh, it just kind of goes to show that that kind of combination of comedian plus subject matter tends to do well. But going back to what we're originally saying, I do think that 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 trend of kind of the LA comedy scene and, you know, it can be seen in the UK as well, where comedians do comedic podcasts uh, with each other is kind of getting a bit stale. Mm. And I think, you know, you have to look at other ways to kind of do these, I suppose these rambling interviews and kind of freestyle interviews. But then there is podcasters, you know, for example, the one that speaks to mind is uh, John Robbins. He's a UK comedian called, and he does a podcast called The Moon Underwater. And this is a podcast where he interviews a different guests each episode, but they have to describe their ideal pub. Uh, John Robbins is a big pub fan. <laughs> he loves pub culture. So the guests come in and you get to hear these celebrities come in and describe their favorite kind of pubs down to the light and to the drinks that are served, to the music that's played, to the carpet. So not only am I getting to learn a little bit more about the guest in a different manner, you know, it's done in a more fun and playful way. And they use lovely bits of sound design and music to kind of help tell these, you know, interesting interviews. And I think that's the way people have to kind of approach the kind of comedy podcast scene. I think it's just, it's like I said, with, with the LA scene, we can probably name a few, but you know, it's very weirdly ancestral. <laughs> I'm, scared, I'm scared of naming LA comics and podcasts because of what's happening in that world at the moment. So yeah. well, you probably follow the same ones I do because uh, if you go on Reddit, it's uh, it's very interesting to follow these different shows and the different hosts that are doing different things. Uh, I can just tell you know if, if people don't understand what we're talking about, uh, I'm sure if they go onto a few Reddit forums about LA comedy podcasts, they'll be quickly caught up. <laughs> I could easily get distracted by that today, but I won't. Yeah, 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 we best not. We best, we best keep it back about the about the business. Um, but seeing as you're talking about it, that's um, I, I think what's standing out to me as you're talking this through um, the Fiverr example there. The I can't remember the comedian's name, but the UK comedian, John Robbins, there, yeah. yeah, um, is that with you know podcasting is still in its relative infancy, and so there's lots of opportunity to take these bigger concepts, industries, and break them down into creative formats. There's still so much opportunity that I see out there to make that happen. But 
it leads me to my next question. Again, we talked about logistics and some of the questions you ask. Uh, the big question that I kind of haven't asked is about budget. So I'm really interested to know, it's not always the case that the more creative you are, the more budget that you need. But when you're talking about, you mentioned that the, uh, did you say John Robbins? John Robbins. Yes. I think you said his uh, podcast maybe has sound effects and live production and stuff like that. Yes. But then you are you are talking producer costs and maybe extra editing, and these costs do add up. The question that I really want to know is when people are coming to you at the moment and they're requesting your services, are podcasting budgets typically realistic? Not realistic. What do you find? Uh, I would. It's it's a mixed bag. In terms of formats, you know, like I said, it does range. So you, you can have your, you know, in studio or remote one-on-one interview podcast, and that can be, let's for example, your kind of starting point of where podcast pricing begins. Uh, we we ourselves kind of do everything concept depending for our costs. So, like I said, as you mentioned, that could include if that show then includes multiple interviews or using archive footage to help tell the kind of interview or music composition or sound design. You know, obviously that just adds in those little extra because it's just down to hours. Uh, you could be doing a show that is, I suppose, like a narrative-led podcast. We did one with uh, the brand called The Stack, and they wanted to create a podcast miniseries that was around the, the sort of the crisis that's happened with mothers and childcare within the UK. And that was called the first three years. And we created that podcast. And that's like I said, I think over four episodes, there must've been something like 30 different interviews. And obviously they had to be all cut together and they had to be uh, scripted out and told through a, a narrative led way with a, with a fantastic host. We had uh, a journalist. Uh, so obviously the costs for that are much, much more because once again, it just goes into the hours and the, the months it can take to create those. Are you able to be more creative when working with seasonal based podcasts? Because you have that break in between that allows you time to kind of listen, reflect, do more research and kind of iteratively improve the process. Whereas it's quite difficult to do that if you have a consistent, you know, weekly, daily podcast. Do you have a preference? Yeah. Uh, so I think there's definitely two ways that uh, we do tend to do a lot more evergreen type podcasts. So meaning that we can we can break them up into series. And like you said, it gives us a lot more time to do those kind of pre-production kind of research and uh, building the idea and scripting those shows out. Uh, I don't really have a preference because I think every show is a little bit different. If your show is a weekly, for example, we do a podcast with a sale GP. Uh, it's a big kind of global sailing competition. And, uh, you know, we need to do a show that is based on the result of each race and the upcoming races. And it's, you know, it's, it's a bit more faster. It's a bit more energetic and it's got lots of features and we use lots of clips from the, from the races. And we have lots of guest interviews from the different drivers of the of the the boats and the, the sail ships. So for that, it's it's you know it's more about just kind of getting as much information into a show in a fun and uh, engaging way and trying to communicate with the audience and have them involved. Whereas something that is maybe more series based, as you mentioned, yeah, we do have more time and we can bulk record episodes and we can spend a lot more time in the post production stage, which I like. So like that kind of making sure that. For example, you know, if, it, if an interview does involve uh, using kind of uh, footage to kind of help tell the story or, or like we said, a bit of sound design just to, to make it a bit more engaging for a listener, that gives us that time to work on it. So I suppose I personally probably like the, the kind of breaking it up into series because like you mentioned, it just gives us that more time to that more flexibility and there's no there's less of a rush. You know, I think everyone wants to have that kind of comfort in working on a project. 
it's all down to what the show is needed. So if it's an evergreen show, you know, that will give us more time to create it. And if it's more time, uh, time consistent with the, with the news or, or with a sport, then obviously you, you're a bit more kind of held to those, held to those dates and times. If you're working with a popular brand and you're going through this ideation phase, do you ever look to that brand's existing customers for ideas? So do you ever survey them, um, ask them for their thoughts on what they'd like to hear in a podcast? Do you want to know? I haven't. And I think that's actually, it's a quite, it's a great idea. I mean, what we tend to do is we look at the trends that their audience are engaging with, but actually being direct to them and asking them what they would like to hear. You know, that is a, that is a great way. What we tend to do is we'll do that by midway through a series. So what we like to do is we want to obviously have the, the listeners engage as much as possible with the show that the brand is creating. So generally, you know, if we're kind of two, three, four, five episodes in, we'll start to include messages and reaching out to the audience to get them to engage, whether that's send their messages in, send their feedback in and trying any kind of fun and quirky way we can to, to get them to engage because this is where podcasting works great. I mean, you know, even now I've got my headphones on, I'm speaking to you, but most podcast listeners, I think it's usually kind of in the 75 to 85% range, listen to podcasts with headphones on. Mm. So you're very much in their headspace. And by that, I mean, you know, it's a sensitive place. You, you don't want to be disruptive. You want to, to be a, a calming presence. I think the, the podcaster Blind Boy and the comedian, he has a great suggest, a great word for it. He says he, he wants to give a podcast hug. So he wants to make sure that space is nice and safe and soft and he's talking to them in a, a manner that doesn't disrupt their day. So when you, when you are um, in their headspace, you want to make sure that you're, you're connecting with them. And that's why people engage and they connect with podcasts so much. So when you do listen to a show, you feel like you're almost part of that community. There's a number of shows I listen to and I have been for years and I feel, you know, even though I'm listening by myself, you know, I love when I meet someone else who listens to the same show. It's why if you go on Reddit forums or Facebook groups, you'll see, you know, there's thousands of different groups for different podcasts and people love to go on there and discuss things and they become friends online and then sometimes even become friends offline and relationships can develop. And that is because, you know, it's quite funny because you're going from something where you're listening by yourself to now being part of a group and part of a community. And when I tell brands that one of the strongest suits of podcasting is is that you can build this community around your brand that's what we're trying to convince them of doing you know and that also takes longevity you've got to you got to be committed to podcasting you want to make sure that if you do want that and you want that goal and you want to achieve it that can take some time you know you can't do that in five episodes or ten episodes uh you've got to do it over time be consistent you know uh it's just like when we look at people's analytics and their stats you know what we're really looking for is consistency with listenerships Obviously, we want to go up like a ladder, but we want to make sure that it's we're not losing that audience, that we're being quite consistent across the board. And you mentioned that maybe, um, particularly if you're running a season, it's 10 episodes long, you might check in halfway through and try and engage an audience to prompt some kind of feedback. Have you found any particular tactics that work better than others for prompting feedback from listeners? Uh, one way that audiences... Uh, respond well to is actually having their questions heard, you know, read out and mentioned online. There's a radio show, but it's, their show also is a is convert is repurposed into a podcast and has been for I think the the six years they've been going. It's called the Ellison John Show. It's uh, currently on BBC Five Live, but it has a huge 
podcast audience. Uh, so by that, I mean a vast majority will listen to the podcast and not the radio show, or they'll do both, but they still have a huge audience on the podcast side of things. And they always open up the start of their podcast. This is not part of the radio show part with where they, they read out listeners, emails and texts and uh, the, the different kind of queries they might have or issues that's going on in their life. And, uh, you know, the, the two hosts and the producer, they, they've built this really quite beautiful community around the show. And, uh, you know, it, it does help a lot of people and they kind of, you know, they do it in a comedic fashion, but they really are kind of helping their listeners through tough times. And uh, they make sure that they respond in a positive way to the listeners. So I think, you know, having that kind of a back and forth communication works really well. So, yeah, I mean, some people might try a few different tactics in terms of competitions, whatever it may be for people to enter. But I generally think just getting people to send in their thoughts and feelings and actually respond to it on the air works really well. Personally, I've had it done myself and I got very excited when I heard my name pop up on a podcast when I was on the bus. So, you know, it's, it's a, I think that's a strong, strong suit to do it. Like I said, podcast is very run by emotions. So if you can tap into people's emotions, uh, whether it be happy or sad emotions, you tend to, you tend to do well. And uh, just a final question in closing for you. So you've talked through a number of different podcasts that you like and the concepts around them that help give me an understanding of different formats that can be experimented with. But in closing, are there any favorite podcasts that either you've produced at Q Podcasts or that you've just seen in the wild that really speak to this experimentation with format that you just really enjoy? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a few. I mean, even from our own uh, podcast that we've done, you know, first three years is a is a great piece of work that we're very proud of. And uh, I think in terms of a few different podcasts that I've seen over the years that have done things differently, yeah, there's definitely a few to name, and there's definitely a few I'm going to forget uh, that I personally love as well. But there's some fantastic production companies we have here in the UK, and I think it goes under. Uh, I, I think it's underseen to be honest, especially compared to the big ones in America like Gimlet and uh, NPR, etc. But uh, Novel is a great production company, and they create a fantastic show called Futile Attempts with the host Kim Noble. Incredibly difficult to describe what it is, but essentially it's uh, almost a, a scripted reality play uh, by the host where he's you're kind of listening to him engage with members of the public, almost in a, well, yeah, it is in a hidden mic fashion, uh, as he kind of goes through this wild darkly comedic disturbing uh story over like i think eight episodes and i i remember listening to it thinking this was one of the greatest pieces of podcasts i've heard before it was very very funny very very odd but it was great and then other ones i suppose is you know there's a podcast that i've actually worked on and still do called deep roots with uh, the adventure damien brown uh, the last season you know he was recording himself live as he's attempting to summit mount everest uh, and sending back kind of these um vlogs and or sorry audio vlogs and now he's actually in this summer about to attempt to solo row. It's not solo, he's doing it with a friend of his, but to, to uh, row uh, from New York to Galway. And uh, once again, he's going to be recording himself on that journey uh, and releasing the episodes as well while he's out there so people can listen and follow along his, I think it might take 60, 70 days uh, or even more to cross over. But that's quite an exciting, different format of podcasting because also there's you know, w- with his past series, he was in Mount Everest and he caught COVID on uh, base camp, which, you know, people might think that's 
how could that possibly happen? But it did, and there's an outbreak, and it was very, you know, we're we're waiting with bated breath every morning to see how he's getting on, and it was it was very very different. Uh, another one as well that I'll just mention that I I, I remember listening to years back called Cinemile. It's a great great podcast. It was a film review podcast. Uh, I don't actually know if it's still going, but essentially it was a couple. They'd go to the cinema, uh, which was one mile away, and uh, they would record themselves on the on that one mile walk back to the house just reviewing the film and it was just it was just a simple very simple idea and it just worked really well and you know that that went on to win quite a lot of awards uh, at the podcast awards in the UK and and like that you know it doesn't always have to when i say think differently and, and be creative and think outside the box it doesn't have to be some elaborate crazy kind of idea it just has to sometimes be the simplest approach can often work so yeah i think there's there's multiple different ways immersive audio is another way you can you can be a bit different and uh sketch comedy is one that i love to hear in podcasts and um you know especially just because of the, the type of the way they're trying to sell characters through audio and use a sound design so yeah there's there's multiple different facets uh i think there's uh it's very exciting at the moment people are doing very different things uh i think we are kind of trying to make sure that the shows that aren't just funded by big networks uh with say big typical you know your your famous faces uh intervene over famous faces you know we want to make sure we're doing stuff that's still different that podcasting is that kind of wild west space that we can be creative and explore different avenues and yeah i think it's an it's definitely still in a very exciting time podcasting it's, i think it's still only nearly in its infancy in terms of what's next i think it's just going to keep growing and get bigger and bigger and and uh yeah, hopefully give a lot of people opportunities to create fantastic work. I love the example of Cinemile. I've not heard of that, but we talked about budgets earlier and maybe what uh, can cause budgets to need to be increased for the production quality. But also on the creativity side of things, some of the most creative podcasts are those that are just resourceful. So you, you gave the Cinemile one and, and just people that are building podcasts around things that they already love and do. And um, the other one that comes to mind is Gossip Mongers, just because it's yeah. a very simple concept. You know, I don't know, again, production budgets and stuff like that, but when they first started out, very simple in theory to execute. So, um, yeah, some of the best creative examples of podcasting can actually just tend to be the most resourceful, in my experience at least, and based on some of the things that you've been discussing here as well. Yeah, definitely. I think that's those ones always tend to rise a little bit to the top, especially, mm-hmm. I mean, if the, if the people who are creating the work are, are entertaining and engaging then yeah 100 percent. and yeah like I said, it, when it comes down to budget for brands it does like i said doesn't always have to be these massively flashy kind of i mean if you if you go from you know, to give you an example uk budgets compared to us budgets i think oh, yeah. you know if you do a show like serial or uh, s town i remember seeing that that you know i think s town costs you know 1.5 million dollars to create you know that's that's crazy for the kind of level that uk podcasting's at you know it's nowhere near that but that that is an example of american how they invest and same goes with you know you can see spotify paying x amount of money for certain shows you can see amazon creating television shows from podcasts uh, so they're investing first in podcasts to be created and then almost testing them out to see if they'd be wor- they'd work on television. Uh, it's, a, it's a very unique space, definitely. I wonder if we'll see the same from Netflix, like an experimental podcast platform. I was just thinking it's weird that we haven't seen that yet. It makes a lot of sense, right? It does. I actually heard that Netflix are getting into the podcast game. Uh, I hope they, well, hmm, I hope they do. I mean, more uh, personally, I think more 
more the merrier. I think Facebook attempted to, and then they just dropped out a few weeks back. I don't know how that was even going to work. I suppose they were going to be a, a, a hosting platform or, or they provide, I don't know what they were going to do, but it didn't really last very long. But I, I mean, the more the merrier, I think the more money and more support we can get out there. My one main thing is that it's just to make sure that, you know, we don't forget the grassroots of podcasting. You know, it's people who can uh, create their own shows and they can still rise to the top and they don't have to have $100,000 budgets to create these shows. Like you said, for example, that Cinemile one, you know, if you've got a microphone and uh, you can give great content and you've got a great idea, I, I hope that we can still have a, an environment where those people can still be heard. That's my only worry is that, you know, we'll flush those people out. And podcasting, like I said, as grassroots, that's what it is. It's people with great ideas that don't have uh, a major network saying, ah, don't do that. Don't talk about this. That, that's a terrible idea. Let's change it to this. Let's change the host, not you, to someone else. You know, it's that's where podcasting is great. It's that kind of freedom. So I hope, uh, hope yeah, obviously more money in the, comp- in the industry is great, but also let's not forget kind of what the, the, the main power podcasting has, which is, uh, is giving those voices to people. It's great. And for the people that want to be heard and want to find you and have their voices heard, uh, where can they find out more about you and Q Podcasts? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So you can uh, visit our website. Uh, it's qpodcast.com. Uh, you can, I suppose, connect with me on LinkedIn. It's uh, Niall Kalini Taylor. It's a tricky one to spell. Uh, but uh, yeah, good luck. <laughs> if you can find me, connect with me and get in touch. And uh, yeah, same goes for any of our other platforms so podcast.co at radio.co and matchmaker.fm but uh, i would shout out on my instagram but it's mainly just pictures of pints and and stuff like that so i don't know if it's too interesting for businesses stick to linkedin maybe for now. i think stick exactly yeah linkedin's probably my best bet <laughs> no it's been a pleasure talking podcasting with you and all that's left to say is take care and this has been the internet marketing podcast deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market